0: John chapter 2, and it's such a beautiful chapter. I want to give you guys, just before we dive in, a couple of things. First of all, we're going to look at an outline that we have of the chapter. And so you're going to see in John chapter 2, and first of all, Jesus' glory at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And so we'll see uh, how he turns water to wine. It's a beautiful story that manifests his glory. And then after that, in the second portion of the chapter, we're going to see Jesus' glory at at the Passover in Jerusalem. And you guys are going to see when he goes to Jerusalem that he cleanses the temple and he also then tells the religious leaders that he's going to raise the temple in reference to his body. And so, you know, when you look at the gospels, one thing you have to make sure that you don't miss is just basically their presentation of who Jesus is we can't miss that. We get sidetracked in so many different things. You know, how he, uh, you know, stilled the storm. And, and we do talk about the fact that, you know, the Lord can still the storm in your life. You're going through difficult things. But really, the, the, the story is a manifestation of who he is. Who can this be? that even the winds and the wave obey him, or whatever, turning the, you know, everything, you know, you see that the bread feeding the thousands, even here as we go through the gospel of John, I pray that we would come away more than anything with who he is, okay? You know, because I think sometimes we might miss out on that, because Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who's with you, is God. So as we go through John, I want to simplify everything. And so one of the things that I'm going to repeat, I remember my pastor used to always tell me, repetition teaches a donkey. And I'm a donkey and I need to repeat it over and over again to myself so that I'll learn. Matthew presents Jesus as king and he writes to the Jews. Eventually, you guys are all going to know this because I'm going to say it every single Sunday I'm here until we're done with the Gospel of John. Mark presents Jesus as servant, and he writes to the Romans. Luke presents Jesus as man, and he writes to the Greeks, Gentiles, but we'll just use the word Greeks. And then John presents Jesus as God, and he writes to the world. And so we have to understand who he is. Who can this be who turns water to the wine in the blink of an eye? And who can this be who has the audacity to think, go into the temple and with a whip drive out everyone that's there, all those merchants? Who can this be with the ability to raise himself from the dead? Who can this be, really, with the ability to see into our own hearts? This is God, and that's who Jesus is, the one who claimed, who came to planet Earth, he was born on Christmas Day, the one who loves you and who's with you. This is Jesus, this is God. Now, I always want to tell you guys this, and something I wish you would commit to memory as well, is as Christians, we believe that Jesus is God, but we also believe he's a second person of the Trinity. And so we believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, in three persons, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit equal in essence and nature, but not in function and office. And so that was something I got from Norman Geiser years ago, and it just stuck with me. And as we go through John, we're going to see how this is all significant and important to us. Because some people believe in what's called modalism. They believe that God is only you know, one person and he has three different uniforms. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No, He's one God, three persons, and so some would believe in Arianism. Like, for example, Jehovah Witnesses will tell you that God, uh, the Father, Jehovah God, created Jesus, and He's really Michael the Archangel. And that's why it's important for us to understand the doctrine, the definition of the Trinity because the more that you understand these things, the stronger you're going to be as a Christian. As a matter of fact, did you know that when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, he said we are to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not just a verbal formula. That is a teaching that it's our responsibility as leaders to teach you about the Father, to teach you about Jesus, and to teach you about the holy spirit and that's what we need and that's how in many ways we're going to grow and we become strong christians now a couple of maps before we dive into the text i want you guys to see the first map is the map of um, ancient galilee and so you'll see right here uh, this is actually the north portion the northern portion of israel and this is where jesus did most of his ministry Uh, You'll see Capernaum right there. And this is where his headquarters was once he started ministry. And when you go with us to Israel, it's really cool. We go to Capernaum and we actually go to a synagogue. And it's just beautiful to see. Um, Even this place where they believe is Peter's house. And you see the lake there and it's just beautiful. So primarily Gentiles there in the area of Galilee. And then if you go over to the map a little on the left, you'll see the the city, uh, town of Cana. That's where the wedding took place. And then right below Cana, you see Nazareth. And Nazareth was where Jesus uh, grew up, right? It didn't have a good reputation, kind of like El Mani kind of thing, you know, Nazareth, right? That's where Jesus was. And so it's not far from our our wedding today. The next map gives you a picture of uh, Israel at the time of Jesus. And so you see Galilee up in the northern portion of the nation. You have Samaria in between, and that'll be significant in John chapter 4. But then if you come south uh, to uh, this area of Judea, you'll see that's where Jerusalem is. And when Jesus uh, goes to the Passover today and into the temple, uh, that's where that takes place. And so John chapter 1, let's go ahead and begin reading. John chapter 2. Thank you. All righty. In verse 1, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples, probably six disciples at this point, were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. And so we don't know who got married. Um, We know that in the Jewish culture, it was a celebration that lasted, think about it, seven days, man. And so that would be awesome, huh? And so somewhere along the line, however, they ran out of wine. Now, that would not only be a bummer, but it would also be an embarrassment. And as a matter of fact, William Barclay, he's one of the guys that knows a lot about historical cultural background. He said that if you ran out of wine, you might even be liable to litigation, to a lawsuit from those that attended the wedding, which sounds kind of weird. But what we find is, man, that's not a good way to start a marriage, right? And so Mary, she's one of those, she's a leader, you know, she's a, she's a go-getter. She says, hey, we got we to gotta take care of this. And she goes to her son and she says, hey, they ran out of wine. Now, I don't know what she expected. I don't know if she expected Jesus to go buy some wine. But, but from the looks of it it, it, it seems to me that she expected him to do some sort of miracle because Jesus is like, woman, what's up? He says, my hour has not yet come. And so that tells me that she knew that Jesus had some type of power to be able to make a difference in this situation. Now, again, I think my personal opinion is, up to this point, Jesus hadn't been doing miracles. You have these you know, myths, and people would tell you that he healed the wings of a bird when he was a little boy and different things like that, all that apocryphal stuff. There's no evidence for that. But more than likely, if we're wondering, well, how did she know he had this power? Of course, we knew his supernatural birth. But but more than likely, I'll bet you almost anything. I'll bet you a hundred bucks. I'll bet you a burrito, okay? I'll bet you almost anything that they had been having the conversation that Jesus was probably talking to Mary and basically saying, you know what? I'm just about to start public ministry, I'm just you're thirty years old it 's just about time, and so Mary sees the like the the situation and she sees the opportunity they 're all out of wine jesus um, can you do something about it and so um she comes to to him now he he calls her woman now some might be offended at that they 'll be like, what do you mean talking about woman what you I call your mom woman It reminds me of peter he, he calls joan woman hey, woman you know <laughs> But you got to understand that this right here was not a derogatory statement. Um, As a matter of fact, it's a little bit of a term of endearment. Um, When Jesus would eventually die on the cross and his mom was there, he refers to her the same way in John 19 26. When he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, A woman, behold, your son and that's when he gave her into john's care so um not a bad thing but i was thinking about this i was thinking though it's kind of appropriate because it wouldn't it be kind of weird to hear jesus say mom you know i don't know i'm sure he called her mom or mother but it's not in the bible it's not like the lord says mom and we're reading the dialogue no and you might wonder well why isn't it in the in the the bible I honestly think it's because there's something bigger. Um, a couple of things that we have to understand. Mary is the mother of Jesus in his humanity, but Mary is not the mother of God. And there's a big difference out there. There's some people out there who teach that she's the mother of God, she's the queen of heaven. No. So Jesus, I think, you know, calls her woman, and he doesn't refer to her as, as mom. Um, because of that, because here's the thing that when you become a Christian, you enter into a family now, and now um, it's interesting uh, the way that it works. I have guys around my age, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger, you're my brother. And I have guys or gals around my age, maybe a little older or younger, you're my sister. Amen? And then we have some guys that are a lot older than us, or maybe some gals that are a lot older than us. And in one sense, you're like a mother figure to, to, to me. Well, actually, I'm older now, so it's different. But remember when I was younger, you, know, you kind of got moms and brothers and sisters and theos. And it's a family, and that's exactly what Jesus said. There was one time where his family came, and they, caught, they thought he was going too far, getting too radical. And so they came looking for him. In Matthew twelve forty seven it says, Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards the disciples. It says, Here are my mother and my brothers. He who does the will of the Father. That those are the ones that now I've got this family that's bigger. So that's just a quick side note to, to me saying that's probably why we don't read him. In the Bible, addressing her as mom, mom, mother, but he does, he calls her woman. And so, you know, when you look at this, uh, we have to at least touch real quickly on the fact that, you know, Mary is not the mother of God. Um, you know, some will even say, like the Catholic Church will say, well, look at the way that Jesus does what his mom tells him, her, him to do. And so if you really want God to move, pray to Mary. You know, I remember reading even one bumper sticker. It says, "If you can't find God, look for His mom." Have you guys ever seen that one? You know what? That's blasphemous. And you guys, I have to tell you this: even though some in the Catholic Church have placed their faith in Jesus, and some in the Catholic Church are saved because of that, um, there is—you can't pray to anyone but God. You can't pray to Mary. You can't pray to saints. Where in the Bible does this... There's nowhere in the Bible it says that. That's idolatry. So, you know, looking at this, as a matter of fact, it's interesting. Jesus didn't just do what his his mother told him to. Uh, At the end, all she can say is, okay, servants, do what he tells you to do. That's all she could say at the end. And so we read in verse 6, now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews "'containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. "'And Jesus said to them, "'Fill the water pots with water.' "'And they filled them up to the brim. "'And he said to them, "'Draw some out now, "'and take it to the master of the feast.' "'And they took it. "'And when the master of the feast "'had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from. "'But the servants who had drawn the water knew. "'The master of the feast called the bridegroom, "'and he said to him, "'Every man at the beginning "'sets out the good wine.' And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. There it is. That's really the point. And his disciples believed in him. And so the Lord does take action, but he does it not publicly, he kind of does it behind the scenes. There's six water pots uh, that they would use water for purification, the ceremonial purposes. And the Lord says, okay, fill them all up with water. So it could be anywhere from 120 to 180 gallons of water. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Do you guys ever go to the water place to get water? The five-gallon jugs, any of you guys ever go? No? I mean, I got a couple of people, okay. Do you guys just drink bottled water, tap water? I'm just curious. All I know is I have to go get water all the time. These big five-gallon jugs, and it's it's a pretty good chore, you know, to carry it and lug it around. And think about a hundred and eighty, hundred and twenty gallons—that's a lot of water. Uh, and you know, when they're they're bringing it back, the Lord just says fill them all up to the brim, and they and they did. And then I don't know where and how and you know how it all man processes, but the Lord just wills it, and the water instantly becomes wine and not just any wine if wine is so good that when they take it to the master of the feast he's kind of like the wedding planner kind of guy then he says wow it's amazing you know most people they, they serve the good wine in the beginning and then towards the end when everyone you know is already worn out and then the inferior but you've you've done you've saved the best for for last and and it's just to me i could just imagine how good it was move over welch's imagine how amazing this tasted and what it was was it manifested his glory and we're going to see as we go through the seven signs of john how the different categories of how the lord does it in this case his his sovereignty over his creation you know and it's amazing when you look at this whole thing to see what God has done. You know, when you look at this uh, miracle, um, I think that we have to make sure we see the most important thing, and that is that it manifests the glory of God. You know, imagine, you know, seeing that yourself. I, I was thinking, Lord, why didn't you just fill the jugs with water yourself? I mean, you could do it, right? He just changed the the water to wine. Why would you make him work so hard? But those of you who are involved in ministry, those of you who read your Bible, you know that's the way it is, huh? That God, he cooperates with his people, that God uses vessels, God uses tools, God uses instruments, God uses people who become weapons in his hand, people who are willing to work hard. And that's what he does with these servants. They go, and imagine how difficult it must have been to get all that water there. But then, when it's all said and done, they were the ones who understood the significance of what had just taken place. Wow, what a miracle. No one else knew, but these guys knew. And for us who are involved in ministry, behind the scenes, we get to see stuff like this. And it shows us his glory. It says that they believed in him when they saw what he did. Now, there might be some here today and maybe you're sitting on the edge and maybe you're not like a committed Christian. Maybe you're here today and you got one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And you're here and you're going to be like, Manny, if I saw a miracle like that, then I would believe. And, and you know, I was thinking about that and I was like, well, a couple of things. Number one... You see it. It's here. What we're reading is an account of what actually happened. You know, there's 22,000 Greek manuscripts that tell the story of Jesus Christ. So, you know, we have to understand the testimony to show us who he is. But then secondly, I would say this. um, I pray that you would see to your right and to your left, all the transformed lives. how, in one sense, when you you know you look at Mark or you look at Angie or Larry or whoever it might be michelle you, you got to see their their miracles right in front of your eyes. this is from from water to wine. God has transformed their life. We have to be able to see those things because as a result of that. You know, what they did, uh, what these servants did, is they expressed faith in Jesus. You know, these people who are doing the, the Mexico missions trips, they didn't always go to Mexico for the right reason. I'm telling you guys, how many of you here, before you were Christians, you went to Mexico to party? Right, you went to Mexico and maybe to find a a date or something, you know? I mean, just think about it. But now they're going to minister to orphans and those who need to hear the love of Jesus Christ. There's so much that we could say about this. I love the fact that the first miracle of Jesus, or sign that John calls it, was done at a wedding. A wedding. You know, many, many marriages today are struggling. You know, yesterday I had the privilege of being able to share at a marriage retreat for Calvary Chapel Pasadena. We were up at Twin Peaks, and uh, I asked them, I said, hey, do you know where in the mall couples fight? In the feud court, I told them, (laughs) in the feud court. Just in case you didn't know that, okay? That's a dorky dad joke, but I'm just saying, man. I had the privilege of talking about anger, being angry and not sinning. Now, in your marriages, do you guys ever get angry with each other? Come on. <laughs> Either that or you're lying to me right here, right now. I was telling them about one time many, many years ago, I was so mad. I was so mad that there was this glass uh, that's next to our door. Those of you guys who come over to my house, I was so mad, I just, boom, I hit it. The whole thing broke. And you're like, man, he, he would never do that. <laughs> I mean we have that temper, we have that anger, and you know, the Bible says be angry. We're gonna get angry. We're angry with what's going on in our world today. We're angry that the government is mandating things upon us. We know it's a sign of the times and probably in one sense and it's inevitable, but it doesn't mean we should lay down our rights. Do you guys know what socialism is? Socialism is not just atheism. Socialism, when you read the writings of Karl Marx, is anti-God. I mean, they kind of believe in God, but just, no, I don't want him. That's what's going on in our world today. So it's okay to get angry at sin. Psalm 711 says God is angry with the wicked every single day. So, so you know, we get angry, but it says be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And so um, you're like, well, what do you mean don't let the sun go down? You can't go to bed angry when you're married, when you're, you know, living life as a Christian. I was reading, I was listening to one guy who talked about that, and he was like, well, that's not what it really means. I'm like, dude, that's what it says, man. <laughs> And I think the reason he said, well, that's not what it really means, is because it's so difficult. It's so difficult not to go. If you're fighting with your wife and you're angry, it's so difficult to try to make it up before you go to bed because you get so tired and things happen. And, you know, next thing you know, you go to bed angry and you wake up and everything seems fine, but it's not fine because you didn't deal with it. And then that anger turns into resentment and turns into bitterness and he can even escalate to the point of hatred in a marriage that's why we have to do things God's way be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down in your wrath nor give place to the devil and what we find you guys is that if we don't do things God's way in marriage or whatever it might be you know when we get angry listen I'm not gonna sin I can't Think, say, do, or I can't sin against God when I'm angry. I I I gotta make it up. I gotta, we gotta get right. Because if not, then you, my friend, have just welcomed the devil into your house. And so marriages, there's a lot of marriages like that. What what's the answer? You need a miracle and i want you to see today it may look impossible to you but i want you to know that jesus is able to do a miracle in your marriage and i think there's a lot of us that need that that's one of the messages that we see here maybe you're here and you you know you need provision uh, i'm here to tell you a guy doesn't never made a lot of money we don't you know there's a lot of things i can say about stuff like that but he has always provided for everything that we've ever needed. Amen? He will. And so he does that for them, and it manifests his glory. And so we see the miracle in Cana, there at the wedding, expressing his glory. But look what we read next. Jesus' glory at the Passover in Jerusalem. It says in verse 12, After this he went down to Capernaum, He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables." And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And so we see him there in Cana. Uh, the wedding. And then every year the males were required to show up in Jerusalem for the three major feasts. One of them, including one of them was Passover. Then we got the Feast of Tabernacles and Pentecost. And so they were required to, to show up. And so Jesus, we even saw him when he was 12. He was going there with his family here. He shows up again. And this is kind of how we know Jesus' ministry was three years because there's three Passovers mentioned in the gospel of john we have this one chapter 6 and chapter 11 and 12 right and so he shows up but when he goes to jerusalem now his public ministry has begun and he sees probably something he's seen for a long time that oh, this this is filled with merchandise it's filled with these guys that are making money hand over fist i mean and they are gouging the people and so what does he do sweet gentle jesus what does he do he gets uh, some cords he makes a whip and he starts driving them out. He starts, you know, throwing up the tables and the money and everything is going everywhere. Because this is what was going on. You know, when you would go to the Passover, you had to bring a sacrifice. And if you're traveling from a long distance, you can't bring it. It's too much to transport. And so you would buy it when it was there. It was uh, certified. It was pre-approved. Sacrifice for you, right? But they would charge you an arm and a leg. And if you brought your own uh, sacrifice from your flock, and they looked at it and they said, no, this has got a blemish here. We don't like this one. You got to buy one of ours. That's the way they were gouging the people. And they were charging them exorbitant prices. You could not use a foreign currency, anything that had an image of a a man. You had to use the Jewish currency. And so they would then, again, exchange the money, but again, charge them an arm and a leg. You'd be like if you guys were to buy a burrito today, and let's just say I told you that every burrito you buy, I get $5. Does that sound good to you? No, you would say, forget you. I didn't buy no burrito, man. <laughs> the priests were making a whole bunch of money, lighting their pockets, getting their, you know, their chariots, uh, limousine, I mean, everything. They were getting rich off the people. Jesus saw that. Jesus saw that. You know, and so what does he do, man? This sweet, gentle Jesus goes in, and I don't know if you can visualize a whip, and boom, and so when I heard one of the guys, and saying, well, I'm sure he didn't hit anybody. He just kind of got close to them, and I like what Chuck says. The Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> he was people. I'm going to hit that guy. I'm going to whip that guy who's getting rich off the people. And and I wish that some of these guys that are getting rich off the people would read this story right here. What's going to happen to these guys in their $5,000 suits, in their million-dollar mansions, who are getting all the money from all these widows who believe in what they're saying, and they're getting filthy rich? What's going to happen to them when one day they stand before Judge Jesus? They'll be be in hell, but not just hell. It's going to be a hot spot. See, we got to see the zeal of the Lord. Here, he quotes from Psalm 69, verse 9. God wants his house to be clean. This is supposed to be a temple of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. You know, this last Thursday, we were able to do a, a night of uh, prayer, and hopefully we're going to be spend more time in prayer. It was a blessing seeing everybody out. Um, I want you guys to know just ahead of time that we're going to do it once a month, the first Thursday of every month. So I encourage you now, I'm warning you now, get ready to fast. Don't eat for a whole day. You'll live. I promise you, (laughs) man. Unless you have a diabetic condition or something like that, maybe you can fast your phone or television or something else. The Lord will show you. But we need to pray. We need to pray. Maybe you're here and you need to pray for someone who you want God to save. Or maybe you're here and you need to pray for yourself because in your own life, there is no fire. But we need to fast and we need to pray because that's what church is. He told them, you know, you guys need to get out of here because this right here is my father's house. And Jesus right here, the lamb becomes... The judge that's why we understand the whip. He goes to Jerusalem, he you know cleanses the the temple, but then he then says, well one day I'm going to raise the temple. Look at verse eighteen and so the Jews answered and said to him, "Well what sign do you show to us since you do these things?" And Jesus answered and said to them, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." And then the Jews said, "It has taken forty six years to build this temple." and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, again, Jesus is there. He's driving people out with whips and turning over their money uh, tables. And, of course, the religious leaders uh, were offended at this. I mean, nobody challenged their authority, but here this guy came in and did that. And so they say, well, what, where do you get that authority? And the Lord says, well, this is the sign because they're always asking for a sign. The Jews are asking for a sign. Greeks look after wisdom. They want wisdom. The Jews are always looking for a sign. She Jesus said, okay, I'll give you the sign that uh, I'm going to destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. Now, we know what what was he talking about, the resurrection, right? But they didn't know that. We're going to see throughout the Gospel of John, they lacked spiritual discernment. They lacked it. A lot of times people come to church, and I'm just going to say this, they're not interested, and they don't understand. Not interested, and they don't understand. Why? Because they're not saved. If you're here and you're not interested and you don't understand, it's because you need to get saved, and that's what was going on with these guys. They, well, I'm destroy this temple, and in three days I'll, I'll raise it again. And I, I think that if they were really listening to the Holy Spirit, if they were saved, uh, they should have been saved. They would understand. But you know, they thought he was just talking about the temple, the literal temple, which of course they worshipped. They worshipped the temple. We actually have some pictures. Of the temple, and there's really a glorious structure. This is Herod's temple right here, and I don't know if you guys can see in the very top right there, but that's a football field, our, our American football field. And so that little square is the size of a football field. Look at how big this is, and this doesn't even include the entire Gentiles, Gentiles courtyard. And so it was just magnificent. If you go to the next uh, slide, you'll see the how big it was in comparison to the Solomon's temple, which of course we know was glorious as well and so look at how huge this is they worship the building they worship the building just like a lot of times today people worship their buildings and the lord says man you know um what you got to know is that i'm going to destroy this temple and they're thinking about that temple and he says no and in three days i'm going to I'm going to raise it up. Well, no, Herod's taken 46 years to build this, and it had been 46 years he'd been building that temple. He actually wouldn't finish building it until 66 AD. But then four years later, the Romans would come in and they would wipe it all out. Who cares about the physical buildings? The Lord lives in his church, in his people, huh? Today when I was praying this morning, it was kind of cool because even though we got the extra hour of sleep, you guys feel better? I think there's maybe a few more people here today because of that. I'm not sure. At least in first service, not second. But, you know, I was I was like, well, I was just talking to the Lord though, spending time with the Lord. And I was saying, Lord, go deep in your people, in your people. I don't know about wide. There's a lot of wide works. Go deep in us. You know, here the Lord just says, here's the sign, and you guys know it, right? I'm going to die and I will raise up. My body. That'll be the sign. And for us who are Christians, that's really the way it works. As a result of these things, Jesus then eventually rose from the dead and proved himself. And it says right here that they believed. Notice what it says in verse 22. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed what? The scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now it's interesting. Um, they believe the scripture. You go back to the Old Testament and talks about the different places and signs, you know, that the Messiah would rise. The, the one that's prominent is Psalm sixteen, verse ten, where it says, "For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption." David wrote that, and David's body decayed, so it couldn't have been David writing about himself everyone acknowledges this has to be in reference to the messiah who one day even though he would die he would not his body would not see corruption he would rise from the dead and what we find you guys is that people then their faith grows they start believing here in john chapter 2 number one was the personal miracle the personal miracle the servant saw it the water turned to wine the personal miracle have you ever experienced a personal miracle where God did something in your life, and you're like, man, there is no explanation. This is supernatural. Have you guys ever experienced something personal? Come on. All right, you guys better start seeking the Lord, man, because he does this stuff. And then there's the global miracle, which is raising from the dead. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to trust when you die? I think it's smart to trust the one who conquered the coffin, who gutted the grave, who defeated death. That's the one that we should follow. He said, that's the sign of all signs. And so it's personal, it's global, but then it's scriptural. At the end of the day, and here's where we have to just root ourselves, is in the Bible. And as you place your faith in the Lord, you realize this is God's word, you're going to be strong. And so... Who can this be, you know, that changes water to wine, that goes into the temple and cleans house with such authority? Who can this be, you know, that raises himself from the dead? And real quick, I know we're running out of time, but I don't want to miss giving you guys these things. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, right here, he says, I will. I will raise this temple. So number one, Jesus does. Number two, the Father does in Galatians 6 verse 1 where we see it uh, throughout the scriptures, how God raised him from the dead, how Father God raised him from the dead. And then thirdly, he's raised from the dead uh, by the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And so you're like, wait a minute, well, who raised him then? Well, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like we were talking about earlier. One God in three persons. And so he closes in verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. And so you got there, he's in Jerusalem doing these miracles, the synoptic gospels tell us and people believed in him, but they didn't like really believe in him that it was just in the head not in the heart it was just lip service it wasn't really something that reached their heart you know James chapter 2 says in verse 19 you believe that there is one god you do well well even the demons believe and tremble so let me just close today and you know by 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 hopefully encouraging you guys to go beyond the intellectual to go beyond the superficial has this Jesus reached your heart? Because right here it says that he saw them and they they believed intellectually, they believed superficially, but they didn't believe genuinely. And as a result of that, he didn't commit himself to them. He doesn't need anybody to say, Well, let me tell you about so-and-so, and he doesn't testify. No, he can see. He sees our heart. We don't have time to go there, but in the book of Revelation, it shows Jesus, and every single time it shows Jesus, he has these eyes, flames. It literally says, flames of fire. And so, if you're here today and your heart is not right, or if your heart is not fully yielded to the love and lordship of Jesus Christ, I pray that today, you would just come all the way in. You don't want to be like the demons. The demons believe and they tremble. Sometimes people say they believe, but they don't even tremble. I pray that we would believe. And guess what happens if you believe? Jesus commits himself to you. And I tell you what, having this one on my team, oh man, that's all I need. He's all I need. Amen. And you guys, let's grow as a church. Let's get stronger. Uh, He can turn water to wine. He does these amazing, awesome miracles. So I pray that today we would believe and receive.